Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elec 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD 2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, when we last left our audience, we were giving them Super Bowl prop bets. Did you watch the game, and what did you think? I watched the game, and, and I almost started taking the advice of our guest, but if, I didn't pull through. I just couldn't do it. If you did, you would have won everything. I know. So how did he do? Everything that we talked about on that show yeah. won, including the one that he said did not have fact of Snoop Dogg smoking pot on stage. There's video of that as well. What? Um, he did? He did or he didn't? He did. Oh. Right, right before the concert or right before the performance started at halftime. But so we said the, the things that we said were um, we talked about deferring after the kickoff. Right. Defer one. Mm -hmm. um, I brought up and you all made fun of me bringing up the kicker. Yeah. Over one and a I'll, half. I'll still make money about the kicker. Over I, one that, and that's a half. not going to change. It's that, still as long as they're called the kicker. It's funny. That one hit over one and a half field goals. Um, yeah. Prop bet guy gave us his two picks of under for the number of rushes for Cam Akers. Uh, the under was 16 and a half. He had 13. Okay. And he had over for receiving yards for T. Higgins. The final number was around 65 yards uh, was the over under. He had over 100 with a touchdown. So we were spot on with, with what we were talking about on the show. And it's kind of funny. I didn't have any money on the prop bets and i sat there right. watching the prop bets the whole time I'm like, of course I'm, you I'm did. looking at it going how many carries does cam makers have now <laughs> did you like did you have a notepad out too no i didn't have a notepad out but it definitely reminded me of my days when i did put money on the game and i'm completely oh, Lord. i'm completely reinforced that i do not want to put my own resources on the, the, that game i can't i can't believe i'm gonna say this but the but the best part of the broadcast was actually the halftime show. I loved it. I, I don't know about you, but even though it was a close game, it just didn't seem exciting. Maybe it's because I have literally no rooting interest in this game, but I've had that plenty of times. This seemed like it was just blah. Like there was no there was no excitement to it. It was just like slogging it out for four quarters. I was hoping the Bengals were going to win, but I didn't believe they were going to. So I had this like mm -hmm. sense of impending doom that the, the, the game would be blown up at the end and I just wouldn't see what I wanted. So so if you're Joe Burrow now, do you, do you quietly say if you don't if you don't get me an offensive line, I'm gone? Because I, I would. It, it's not just that he's getting hit. When he went down and he started limping, did you, you got to sit there and go, he's getting killed back there. Did you hear the audio? The NFL Films does such an amazing job and I haven't seen I love to watch it every year. I think I've told you, I have a friend who narrates it, but I love to watch the after-game video where they put together the compilation and they get the mics on the coaches talking and other things. The sound of pain when Burrow went down there on that hit was sickening. Mm -hmm. Like, you could tell that, that that was not a regular hit and, oh, I'll just rub some dirt on it and get up and feel better. And well, same thing Same thing with Stafford. I mean, there, there was a point in the game where it looked like neither quarterback was going to come back in that game. It did, which is what made it even more intriguing at the end. Is you, you Especially had, since I had no idea who the backup quarterback was for either team. You know what? I did still, you? I still like, don't before, know who I mean, the before, backup before, quarterback is for either team now. I don't know. Who are they? It wasn't, isn't it, isn't it Allen? Is it Kyle Allen? Why do you ask me questions on the air that I, like, we could have prepped yeah. this and looked this up and sounded professional. Why, why should we, why should, why should we start looking smart in 2022? <laughs> like, like, 
What's the point now? Instead, We've been doing this for five years. All of a sudden, people are going to go, oh, my goodness, they just became smart. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I gotcha. I understand. So um, I had a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about sort of outside the game. You know I'm always interested in viewing audiences, okay? I know you don't Yes, you care. are here. So is this, is this, is this Jason's uh, ratings discussion? It is Jason's ratings there discussion. There we go. So last year's game was the lowest since 2006. This year's game, if you include streams, 112 million people. It's the highest since then, uh, a couple years ago. So they're back up. Here's what since su- a couple since a couple years ago. Here's, Whoa. Here's, <laughs> here's what surprised me though. Okay, did you see who the top 10 markets were? What do you mean? The top 10 markets for watching the game. Like you'd expect Cincinnati, Detroit, because Stafford's in the game was really high. You know, I wish people could see my face right now. I know, now. you don't care but, at all. Be, do you know because who was not I, I in care the- so little about this, and, and I, I humor you because I know how, how much you like it, but... I have a point about you, it, though. Yeah, I know, it's but... It's not the, just ratings. The, before, before you get to the point, the amazing thing is, is you know that I don't care about the and ratings. And I'm still going to. Now, now you want me to do a deep dive into each market. Because nowhere in the <laughs> top 10 of the markets was Los Angeles because Los Angeles doesn't care they have a football team and when they had it's a parade sunny outside and when they, they have had other a, things to do when they had a parade the other day and it was sunny yeah. outside they didn't yeah. come to that either so let's just be real about what's going on here. The NFL's happy that they, they had it had in it SoFi in Stadium and that they're in L.A. and they're in that market. But nobody in L.A. really cares. Philadelphia was number nine of ranked markets. Philadelphia cared more about that Super Bowl than the Rams who were in it and winning it. That's all I'm saying. I know another thing you don't care about. Ha- have you not Have you not watched an, uh, either a Rams or Chargers game? They never have they are, they are loaded with the other teams. Well, and they, that's what loaded it seemed like. I mean, I know it's not a home game even though it's a home game. But it seemed like 60, 70 percent Bengals fans there in the stadium from the Stan Kroenke, who, you know, I don't like. I, I thought it, of you the it, second it they has created him. a destination. He charges a ridiculous amount of money for those tickets. And he doesn't even care whether or not it's filled with Rams fans because he's sitting there making that a destination. It's now a vacation spot as far as he's concerned. The second that they handed him the trophy on the stage, I thought of you and thought to text you. And I was like, I wasn't what? watching. I turned wait. it off. I figured that you weren't even watching watching at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we knew that the gambling would be up this year. We talked about the prop bets. There was mm-hmm. a 95% increase from last year in the number of unique accounts that accessed legal online bets. It's 80 million locations that did it. So right. since last year, they had about 500 million. This year, they're saying it's going to be over a billion. The funny thing is, though, this is the game, the year where the parlay bet or the, the bets that we were talking about with the prop bets sort of started to overtake the money line and game bets where now people are looking for that in-game action and as opposed to the overaction. Do not fall asleep on me over there while I do this. I really <laughs> wish people could see this video. In fact, we're recording this on video, so I may put this out just so you can see Jeff uh, glaze over. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just I think it goes to show you like we wouldn't normally talk prop bets on the show, but that's where these sports are going to. And you may not like it, but that's why when I bring up that Brian Ross gets accused of price of trying to fix games and pay his coach to lose, the NFL has a larger problem because they've invested so much into this gambling now that it ties into the other issues that they have. So Stephen Ross is hoping that they, they get Brian Ross in trouble. <laughs> I will. You know what? 
I'm glad you corrected me in real time. Can we talk about this for a second? You ever listen <laughs> yes. back to the shows afterwards and say no, something that you, I, you, you know don't? I don't. That's so, another thing that bothers you. <laughs> I do, and I can't stand when I screw something up on the air that I know that I knew. And well, I, now you can just let this go, right? Well, yeah, because you've been corrected, and you, you don't have to worry about because it. Because right. you stopped and called it out. It's perfect. Yeah. To, so, yes, yeah, Stephen so, Ross. So can, so can I talk – politics in sports just a tiny bit in such a way that it should be humorous sure so oh, so i i am not like a huge hip-hop fan but i gotta tell you that was the best halftime show i've ever seen but if you're going to do a protest in any way or make a statement during a game it should be in such a way that somebody notices it oh you mean eminem's taking like, a knee so eminem <laughs> takes a knee during a hip-hop song not during, like they didn't even play like a, a small snippet of like the national anthem nobody knows what he's doing i don't even think that mary j Bly and dr j knew what he was doing and he did it and then they had to explain it afterwards because nobody knew apparently the nfl knew he was going to do it they were aware from the run-through of what he was going to do right I but, thought but, only but nobody gen- the hundred plus million people that were watching i guarantee you nobody knew i thought only my generation liked that halftime show like i saw criticism from everybody and it's like well if you're not a a Gen X or this or that, then then you really? didn't like it. I loved it. It was like right I on thought, my alley. I thought it was I thought it was amazing. All right. So, so and that, I don't know normally to you know I don't talk about that kind of stuff. Do you have any other NFL I just wanna I just want to appear hipper than I am. Yeah we'll, we'll work That's on really it. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. have to work on that. And that <laughs> <laughs> You've got the wrong partner oh, if you man. want that going on Jeff. I know. What can I you. tell you? All right. I wanna I want to get you a little flustered and frustrated, okay? Mm-hmm. I know you're not a regular Olympic watcher. I know you no, watch I, some of I the... know I am a regular Olympic watcher. But I haven't watched year. one second of this Olympics. This year. This year. Yeah. I should I should phrase that differently. You are somebody who is into the Olympics. I, but... I love the Winter Olympics. But not this year. No. And and what you're missing out on is a it's lot nothing. of controversy. It nothing. doesn't I'm matter. Nothing. No, no, there's a lot of controversy. It doesn't matter, you know, we'll get to the ice skating in a second, but you know, they've had malfunctioning. Well, here, here's my curling. obnoxious, controversial position right here. Ice skating, figure skating is not a sport. Anything that requires somebody to hold up a card with a number on it is not a sport. All right. Well, there's still athletes that work. It's really. a performance. But oh, get, they're athletes. But, get... but, it, but, but because figure skating has such a tainted history with, with scoring and everything else. And then this latest nonsense might be the worst ever because they literally set out to create a scenario where People who were innocent were going to be punished instead of them taking the stand that they took any other time in the Olympics. It was beyond awkward, the whole situation. Uh, the announcers, you know, Tara Lipinski and John, Johnny Weir, as they commentated it, expressed their What did disdain. they say? They openly expressed their disdain for her participating and being allowed to participate. They, they Really? Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable to watch. So in her short program – they were extremely critical. In her long program, she fell so many times that you you kind of knew that it, it, she may not even make it onto the podium because that was the controversy. So the skater's name is Camilla Velieva. And she Good had, job. She had we failed, can stop the broadcast right now. <laughs> right, drop mic. Uh-huh. She had failed a drug test back in December showing mm-hmm. three different heart medications that were in her system. Uh, mm-hmm. Their explanation is that it got tainted with her grandfather, whatever BS that is. I died. What? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Her grandfather. It got tainted. Apparently... So she was taking her grandpa's meds? I, I don't know. 
I don't. And that's have you ever bigger... had have you ever had that mix up before? Okay, here, that's my bigger problem though. She's fifteen. Right. Like you're making. Yeah. What meds is she taking? I she shouldn't be taking those meds, but where are her handlers and helpers? She's a fifteen year old. In Russia. I know. Like where 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 they micromanage it. Everything. Russia seems like every single Olympics now. There's something. Yes. And 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 each time they're not even Russia. They're the ROC. They can't wear the colors because let's not have them there, but let's let their athletes compete. It's the most ridiculous situation. So in this Olympics, are they they not using the flag again? I mean, yeah, they don't use the flag. How many different ways are we going to get around this? They play the Olympic anthem rather than the Russian national anthem. It's I mean, it's silly on its face to begin with. But what? Yeah. But so I have a couple questions about this. Let's let's start with the ruling. Yes. So the ruling the ruling is we we need more time to double test this or whatever they're going to do. And so the solution is we're going to let her compete. And if she finishes in a medal, we're just not going to have a ceremony for anybody. So, right. So <laughs> not two just people, her. if she finishes in it, two people don't get what they've dreamed of yes. their whole life. Yes. That's the first okay. thing that is beyond ridiculous. Yeah, they'll 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 get their their little medal, but they won't get to have their ceremony and their country won't get to celebrate. And by the way, there's a whoever comes in fourth has to sit around waiting until they figure this out as to whether or not they get a medal or not. So they leave there not having it, that experience. It is the ultimate participation trophy. Okay. So so that I don't understand on its face because there have been lots of instances in the Olympics where people have been caught doping. And the answer is, sorry, you're not competing. End of story. I don't know why they couldn't come up with the second test in this period of time either. That doesn't make sense. So you have that issue. Then I have a question, and I I admittedly have not watched this. I never watch figure skating for the most part. So I think I've seen Disney on ice a couple of times, but thank goodness my kids out of that, that stuff. I'm you're way, right I'm the, way you're deep. Right in the, you're, you are right in the, in the thick of it, and I know your kids love Mickey Mouse. And so. we have been to Wells Fargo Center on numerous occasions. But here, here was my question. I, I read in the morning that she came in fourth place because she fell a bunch of times. And my first thought was, and I know this is horrible, but my first thought was, did she purposely fall because she was getting so much criticism that she said, I can't just, I, that I can't live with myself. It, I don't know the answer it, to that. It more I, seemed, I don't. It more seemed like as a 15 year old, the pressure got to her. I mean, if you're watching it, uh, she, it was one of the most cold, heartless things I've seen because you didn't necessarily want to see her succeed but then you watched a 15 year old fail and fall apart on national television and so the commentators went from good because she won't get a medal to oh my god the heartbreak of this 15 year old and then she walks over off the ice to her handlers and they didn't seem to console her they seemed to lecture her about how she had screwed up and this 15 year old is crying hysterically but, the- but doesn't but doesn't this leads to a, a bigger problem with me it is you know i've said this for years i'm torn about how kids sports like the little league world series it is so great to see how those kids but i don't think it should be on television i i, I don't i don't think that you should put kids in this because what it does is it causes bad adults to do bad things to children. Yes. And, and so they are too young 
because you've now put the entire the entire world of Olympics was now put in a spot that nothing could go right from this. No. Zero. Either she failed. She, she was. In, she in, was. She was. She was a a prop in all of this. Uh, the the her as you call them handlers. The people that are supposed to be looking out for her were not looking out for her. They were looking out for a medal. They were looking and, out for themselves, and they yeah. failed her. They failed their. And look, she's an athlete, so she has to take responsibility for what she does. But she's a 15-year-old athlete, and we can have conversations about, you know, what age athletes should be on this stage. Okay, that that's open for conversation. But we put her in a place that 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 we have to criticize her, like like the idea that we can't criticize her because she's 15 years old is it, you can't do that. She cheat she according to the results cheated. Okay, so yes, she's 15 years old. She was probably forced to cheat. Her life is probably going to be in ruins now as a result of this. And probably the government, the, the Internet or the Russian Olympic Committee just going to discard her at so, this point. So here's here's what I don't understand. And, and, you know, I've worked in and around politics for 20 years where, you know, I used to tell my candidates politics is the art of practicing hypocrisy without being called a hypocrite. OK, so mm-hmm. they do this and they allow her to compete in the Olymp- Winter Olympics. What about the runner that failed the marijuana test that couldn't run in the Summer Olympics? Where was mm-hmm. that opportunity for her to not be on the podium and run and and do that? Like, where is the there was it? There seems to be a separate set of rules for Russia. Where where is the consistency in this in sports in general in how they treat double people? zero? There's none. And, there and is no consistency. There's no fairness. And, and figure skating is is a large part of that. Every there, there's there's so it's fraught with the opportunity to cause these kind of problems without that. Anytime, anytime you allow judging to come into play with something, you make it much, much worse and you, you lead people to not trust it. That's why that's that's why I don't I have a hard time with some of the Olympic sports, not because they're not well, incredible athletes. It, it's be, because. There's no there's no way to make sure that it's fair. It goes to some of the inconsistent scoring on the snow events, not the downhill slalom where you race a clock, but the slope style or the aerials Mm -hmm. or the jumps where I'm watching people do moves that have never been done. And the commentators are going crazy. And then a score comes up and even the commentators are like, what the hell was that? Like, where did that come from? And, And so there's just so many. And believe me, your favorite sport in the world there that you want to participate in, curling is not immune. They had a malfunction. They're basically working on the honor system for scoring because their technology for electronic violation detection isn't yeah, working. Yeah, what, what, when, when did they put like electronics in a rock? Ah. Like this, hey, this is shuffleboard, just so we're clear. Look, you don't need technology for this. If they can put a chip in a rock, they can put yeah. it in a football and tell me when it's a first down, Jeff. This should not be so <laughs> difficult. Okay, so a few other things. Or, or a tennis ball and to figure out when it's out. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it seems like Team USA has had a disappointing Olympics. I mean, I know you haven't watched a lot of the events. Men's hockey. None. But, I don't quarters. know how many times I have to say this. I watched none of them. Men's hockey losing the quarters. They were up 2-1 to one with three minutes left. Ended up losing 3-2 in overtime. Basically felt like I was watching the Flyers. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of got a lead, blew it late. Uh, don't start me on overtime. that. I was there last night. Oh, we'll get to that in a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Believe me, we'll probably hit the break in a minute, and then we'll come back after our interview with Kobe Carl, and we'll talk some. So flyers. when when is this Olympics over? I think so. I can so I can or... so I can make sure I'm watching the closing ceremony <laughs> like, with nobody there. <laughs> I think like tonight or tomorrow. It ends soon. It's only two weeks, right? So it's been... I don't know. There was stuff going on before the head opening ceremony. Well, that's that's another conf- thing I don't understand. That's what like, confused how... me is I kept saying the Olympics start Friday and then I turn on the TV the Wednesday before. And the Actually, the only thing that I would want to watch at this point, and it's probably over, is did they have a biathlon? Yes, they did. That I find fascinating. The, the I I don't remember whether it was that event or not. The person like collapsed at the finish line. It was scary, actually. Oh. Um. I I have to tell you the other thing that is just awkward to me, and I know you haven't watched. Okay. I just can't get over it. I think I sent you a picture of it. So this the ski slope ramp and and where the half pipe is mm-hmm. is built at a location which is now a park and is going to be turned into a larger park that the slope is there. But right. the backdrop are three smokestacks to what was going to be a nuclear reactor. And it's just the weirdest like thing. They go to the beauty and majesty of the hill and they and you know how I love when they pull out to the shots and they do it with games, mm-hmm. you get the mountains in the background like you have in Colorado and stuff. And so they pull out here and you get three big smokestacks. It's just the weirdest thing to watch on TV. I just have to say that. So they should have turned it into an Olympic village apparently it's going to be there. It's going to be like a park afterwards where the slope stays there for people to play with around these three smokestacks with no reactor. So that definitely different. Uh, so will you watch? So, so where is the next winter Olympics? Let's end with that. I don't know. Why do you ask these things? Well, I need to know because if you're when, when are we starting our training for, for the Olympics for curling? Uh, if you want us to actually go there, uh, then we are going to have to start, uh, like 20 years ago. It's actually in Milan. No, you, you think you need 20 years to, to practice curling. Uh, there, there are curling clubs in Philadelphia and around Philadelphia and we are going. There are curlers. We, we, it is in we, Milan. It's the look, Milan Cortina games. So. Oh, we're um, definitely. You don't want to go to Italy. I would love to go to Italy. But to represent you, our country, look, free swag. I mean, come on. Let me remind you. We're gonna have Kobe Carl on in a few minutes. Who the last time you had me try out for something, it resulted in me not being able to dribble a basketball through my legs. I just want to point that out. As you say, I won't need 20 years to prepare to curl. I wonder if he's. I wonder if he's been warned about. Probably not. He probably no. has no idea that we tried out for the team that I've mm. never actually been cut and I'm a member of the roster. He probably I don't know how that. you keep saying that you've never been cut because if people, you know, if you just keep saying it over and over I don't, again, I don't, I don't think that truth. if you don't make it past warmups, I'm pretty sure that they just crossed your name out. We're just speaking it into truth, making it a reality, right? <laughs> that, that's that's what we do. I think that that's a lot of spin. Well, look, that's what I do for a living, right? I mm. get myself dizzy with all the spin. Well, hopefully you do better at your day job because nobody's buying it, <laughs> that you, you were never cut. <laughs> not even my There's five-year-old. There's nobody, nobody is going to believe it. Not even my five-year-old were practicing dribbling no. in the driveway uh, believes uh, that I wasn't cut by the blue coach. Right. He's better than me at this point. I showed you the video. Mm-hmm. He can at least bounce the ball five times without it rolling away from him. So. Did he dunk on you yet? Yeah, of course he dunked on me. Yeah, that's what I figured. Jeff, why don't we... uh, And I know, I know I was dunked on multiple times. Why don't we leave it right there for a minute? We'll hit the break, and when we come back, we'll have Kobe Carl join us, coach of the Delaware Bluecoats. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. 
and the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. This is Dan Baker, public address voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, and you're listening to the Heart of Sports with Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer. All right, Jeff, let's talk some basketball and bring on Delaware Bluecoats head coach Kobe Carl. Coach Carl, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. We, uh, we're entering into the um, all-star break, and we got a win last night. So, um, you know, in terms of basketball life, that's, those are good things. Well, it seems like basketball has been life for you. We'll ask you about some of the games on the court, but you're a guy with a fascinating journey yourself. Your journey's taken you from Sonics ball boy to Boise State walk-on, undrafted NBA player to overseas. Can you talk about what it was like to grow up around the NBA and, and sort of how that helped shape you to the coach you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have kids? I do. Yes, Jeff does too. Jeff coached his kids Yeah, in I mean, Yeah, so it's uh, I, I have two kids, a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. And my wife and I, you know, raising them, it's like we get to create their reality, right, to a certain extent. Um, and so it's all I knew. That was my reality, right, is is we were just – that's what we did. We we traveled. I moved like 20 times before I was 18. Um, so we were in and out of places. But we always had, you know, my mom, my dad, and my sister. Um, and we'd find new houses, new apartments, new schools, new friends. Uh, you know, had some family, but go to games, go to my dad's practices on the weekends, you know, go to shoot arounds. Once I got old enough to like be, a, like, I guess, listen a little bit, um, I was able to be a ball boy and, um, the Sonics, the Sonics equipment manager quoted, was quoted saying that I was the, his worst ball boy ever. Um, <laughs> What, and, what, and, what, could, what could you do as a ball boy to make you the worst ever? I did nothing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was that was like, the problem, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was like a, you know, like I was mischievous. So I, I would come, I would come with my dad. So we'd come, he would come early, but I want to get there when everyone else would get there. You know, like I didn't have, there weren't the same rules for me. So, um, so I, I understood. And then, you know, I would do, I would do basically what I wanted to do. I'd go rebound for guys, and if it was, I'd go rebound for the other team if if I wanted to, or you know. So, I mean, uh, it was a good learning experience because I was definitely not coachable. Um, so it's helped me to today. Uh, but you know, like growing up in that culture, um, you know, I work with a, a, a personal coach, psychologist as well, and it's like it's it's literally. She always says it. It's in my blood. So it's like all I know. Um, I mean, you talk about 10,000 hours, like an apprenticeship type of thing is like, I was in coaches meetings before I ever was in a basketball practice as a player. So, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just who I became and, and what I've grown up around. And, um, there's good things and, and bad things, just like anything. 
So, so as a dad who coached my kid for years and, and watched him roll his eyes time after time, uh, Jeff, you didn't have the success absolutely. that his dad had as a coach. I just like to I, I, I know I'm I'm, get, I'm getting there. <laughs> we, we know, we know I was dad, bad yeah. at it. <laughs> so, so when you started to play, did Dad actually coach your games, and what was that like? And if he didn't coach your games, what was it like? Was he able to sit on the sidelines quietly? Yeah, so um, great question. Uh, like he, I think he was a master. Like I credit him with like my path, obviously for my life, like upbringing, but also he he did not he did not coach me, and uh, he was very very disciplined and uh, had a lot of restraint in terms of he would only coach me if I asked him to. So like he was very uh, very stoic in a lot of ways, uh, you know, when he was around. But um, he just wanted to say, you know, like the the conversations we had were basically like listen to your coach, you know, they're, they're there to coach you, and it was a great lesson for me to learn because I think it's important as a as a coach and as a parent, as as you know, my wife and I journey into this adventure of you know, youth sports, is is our kids are there to learn from that coach. They're not there to learn from us. They're going to learn from us on a daily basis. And we can have conversations after and, and, and be their support system. And, but, uh, you know, like, so I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with the team. I fell in love with like the community of a team and the journey that they go on and the ups and downs, because I was part of that. I was a ball boy. I was in the locker room. I would go on the road, you know, in the playoffs with the team and, you know, it's like you become, you're in the den, you're in, you're, you're, you're there. And that's what I fell in love with. Not the, you know, not the practices or whatnot. So, you know, as I got older and started to realize I had to get, you know, up, up my skills. That's when I fell in love with the process of growth, the process of uh, work, um, putting in that work on your body and putting on in that work with your skills and then having opportunities to compete against other athletes. You've said that um, you were a late bloomer. You didn't have any D1 scholarships. Uh, you ended up going to Boise State, which I found was interesting. You said that was – you guys always went back to Iowa every time between jobs with your dad. Is that what happened? You were familiar with it? Yeah, so not Iowa, but Idaho, close. Or Idaho. Um, uh, see, Jeff yeah. Jeff calls me out too when I mess up words that I know I'm going to have right, and then I screw them up. So I appreciate you correcting me there. Yeah, yeah you're it, right. It, <laughs> It happens to all of us, and I'm guessing you guys are East Coasters, so Idaho's a long ways away. I'm Very guessing you've fun. never been. No, I go. I go every yeah. year. Yeah, well, Jeff, Jeff actually does go. He loves it out state. there. McCall, yeah. if you've never been three hours north, McCall, Idaho is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. All right, so so my mother grew up in that area, so um, her father grew up there. So like we had, you know, that was where we'd go back whenever he got fired, um, and you know, you saying McCall, that's where we had a summer house. So that was where we'd always go. I, I went to high school, I went to elementary school in McCall, Idaho. Um, asked my wife to marry me in McCall, Idaho. We got married in McCall, Idaho. Um, so that's been like my true, truly like only home. And, in, in you know, my, the best man, my wedding was my cousin who, who still lives in Boise, Idaho. Um, you know, that, those were, that was really the only consistency in our lives was my mom's family side of the family where we'd go home, um, every summer we'd have that summer house in McCall. Um, 
and and so that that was always kind of the only roots that I had in in life, and and we still have a, a house there in Boise to today. So so you spent time at at Boise State. The big question is is do they have a blue basketball court court like they do football court? I love the Smurf turf. No. <laughs> no, we uh we were we got neglected a little bit in terms of we weren't we weren't the program that the football program created and developed and 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 has has become to today. Uh the basketball program is actually picking it up now. Leon Rice has done an incredible job with it. But no, we we didn't have the blue court. Uh I don't think it would make the same impact, right? Uh the blue turf is is pretty special. Gene Blainmeyer was the AD at the time and he he was a creative mind. Um, and obviously that was one of the first things I remember because my mom being from Idaho, uh, they'd be on ESPN and it, it would stand out and, and, and they would always point it out to me. So that was pretty cool. You know, going to Boise state, we, we would train on the blue turf. We'd go out and do our conditioning and agility drills and, um, be able to go throw some routes every once in a while if we, if we had some free time. It seemed like a great place to go to college, but you also had challenges while you were there. Um, what was it like to to go through the battle that you went with thyroid cancer while you were in college? Yeah, it's, it's like it's one of those things like I was just talking another day. The superpower that my dad gave us is like this ability to ignore. And and like avoid. So it was it was one of those things like I compartmentalized it. When I heard about it, obviously it was scary. But once the doctor told me, "All right, it's not it's not a high risk cancer," I was like, "Oh, okay." Like you know, only ten percent death rate or five percent. You know, it's like I was like, "Okay, then let's just take care of it, get it done with, and and get back to playing basketball." I was so focused on on basketball and and my career and finishing school that it was it really wasn't as scary as 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 it, as it can be, you know, my dad encountered cancer later in his life with the throat where like, that's the real stuff. You know, my, my wife's mother passed away from cancer. Like there's, there's, there's these things. So, so in some weird way, it wasn't as scary, um, as, as you would think it would be. It was, it was more of just a road bump or, or <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, but it did get, it was a little frustrating the second time because I, I got it, I think my junior year and then my senior year, I was still having tests just to monitor it. And they, they said they didn't like the levels that I was at. So they're going to have to go back in and, and have another surgery. So that was, that one was scary it was because then, then, you know, my mind started thinking about, well, is this, is this really, they said it wasn't a big deal, but you know, now I have to go get another surgery. So that's when it got a little more uh, scary, more real. Um, but overall it wasn't, it truly wasn't as, as bad other than I have to take two little pills every morning to, to, um, replace my heart, my thyroid hormone. So you overcome these health challenges, these recruiting challenges, you end up making it to the NBA though, undrafted play on multiple teams, play in the D league, play overseas, how was your own journey playing with those different teams, understanding the the struggles and successes of young athletes helped you to relate to these guys now that you're coaching them as they chase their goal? Well, I tell our guys all the time, and, and I think I got this. My dad has this um, levity to him, um, self-deprecation that I, I learned. And it's like 
they're so much better than I was as a player. Like, I think a lot of these guys had so much more skill and, and ability than I did. Granted, I was a good player, but it, it was like I did it cerebrally, you know, like with with um, the nuance of the game that I learned from these great coaches that I was around, including my father. And um, But I failed in a lot of ways uh, on the mental side of it. I, I didn't think I had the – I was very physically tough, and I, and I wasn't really scared of any conflict. But in terms of, like, holding myself accountable – um, in on the court and holding myself accountable as a teammate and and as a as a leader, you know I wasn't very good at those things. So I think it it gave me great um, experience to be able to go through those things and now reflect on them and, and and continue to grow as a you know as a as a husband as a as a father and and as a coach and as a person because I can you know I relate to these frustrations that they go through and and I see. You know, like we have guys on our team that are absolutely NBA players and, and they're right, but it doesn't matter. Right. It's like life isn't fair. It doesn't matter if, if, if you are, you have the same abilities. It's, it's about, you know, circumstance. It's about timing. It's about being prepared and it's about doing your best on a daily basis. And, and, and like, that's the obstacle. It's not, it's not about, you know, right or wrong or, I'm better or comparison, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. And that's something I failed at in my career. So, you know, I'm happy to have the opportunity to, to coach these guys and, and help them through. Sometimes it, it is frustrating for me too, because I, you know, I love them so much and, and I, and I, and I've seen their growth and I've seen their perseverance and I've seen their struggle. Um, so sometimes it does frustrate me, but like uh, I, I am learning to be that I need to, you know, lead in a way of, of, trying to get them through that because you just never know how close it is. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we're, we're in an interesting time. And, and so you're, you're set to coach a, a group of guys who are moving back and forth between your team and the Sixers. What is it like? What, what is the benefit of that? And what is, what is the struggle that you go through with regard to consistency when you're seeing them bounce back and forth between your team and the Sixers? It really depends on the individual, where they are in their career, um, you know, where they are in their life, uh, even where they are, you know, like in, in in their personal life. You know, it's like so we're all kind of going through multiple journeys at the same time um, and, and we all learn differently. We all react differently to different situations. Um, and and so, like, you know, a guy like Jane Springer, I think Jaden is a great example. Like he's he has this really unique learning style where it's very like detail oriented, but he, it takes him time. Like he, he sees it, he's got to like feel it out and, and he can really, he can really do a lot of special things. Um, but it just takes him some more time. So it's like building rhythm with him. It, 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 he needs the reps. He needs the repetition. He needs the consistency. Whereas like a Paul Reed, he was in a situation where he has this eagerness about him where, uh, where like he's willing to do anything like, and, and he, and he's almost like scatterbrained because he'll try to do anything. And so like him, it's like really about just like creating this really singular focus and teaching him like, Hey, let's take care of one thing at a time. And, and as long as we can have him, you know, for whatever, for the amount of time, three or four games where we can figure out what that focus needs to be he understands what the focus is. We can practice it for a couple of days and we can talk to his teammates about holding him accountable to some of these things that we're trying to get better at. 
then, you know, that's all he needs. And then you can go see him have success at the next level uh, for a couple of games. And then maybe he needs to come back and get a tune up. But so it's really dependent on each player's personality and, and style and, and, and where they are in their career. And um, but, it, you know, that's that's what makes coaching fun. You know, we've seen you have that success regardless of who's on the court, uh, winning the Winter Showcase Cup and then getting to come back home to where you get to play in your arena. You're 10-5, and five, third in the East right now. Talk about what the experience has been like on the court this season for you guys. I mean, it's – yeah, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it's such an honor, and we have this we have this opportunity now to get away from it for a couple of days. It's, it's been an honor. It's been a it's been a it's been a ridiculously difficult journey because of the ups and downs that we've 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 incurred. Um, but uh, you know, it's the first time I've ever won a championship with a group as a leader of a group. Um, and then like the way we did it with our guys uh, being rewarded in different ways throughout the process uh guys showing up like a paul reed showing up he wanted to be in vegas with us you know he was frustrated at first when he came down and and played in the g league with us and then by the end of it he wanted to be with it like he was hurt that he couldn't finish the showcase with us and so like seeing the uh seeing and being being part of a culture where guys really want to be there with each other and 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 compete with each other it's been fun and um and then you know the the other side of it, it's it's difficult too because we 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 went fourteen and one through that process and then and then we go back to zero zero, and I keep talking about it and I and I, I should probably move forward but guys like yourself keep bringing it up, um, and uh, and then we kind of you know now we're at ten and ten and five which is a hell of a record and and guys are battling through it uh, and figuring it out as we go we just got Haywood Highsmith got another ten day opportunity, so it's it's uh. You know, it's a long-winded answer to to say that I'm I'm very fortunate and very uh, happy with where I am in my career because I get to work under you know the umbrella of Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers, and then Prosper Kawangwa. We work daily together as the general manager, and and he does an incredible job of providing us with as a coaching staff and and as a staff in general. And as a team, with the with the tools and, and the things necessary to to allow us to be successful on the court, so it's um you know long winded answer, but it, truly I, I just feel very fortunate to to do what I do uh, right now where we are. So you you're a coach, a dad, a husband. Um, you don't have enough to do apparently, so you're also doing a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that actually occurred during the during. <laughs> With my idle my idle hands during the pandemic, uh, you know, I've always been very curious. I love calling. Like I, I have this opportunity to like call people because I grew up around the NBA that that most people can't call. Um, so you know, for example, you know, watching the Toronto Raptors have success a couple of years ago, Masai Jerry was um, an international scout in Denver with my father, and. I was able to get on the phone with him for 30 minutes and talk to him and pick his brain about his journey and, and where he came from with Denver and, and some of the things he's seeing and ask him some questions. And so I started listening to my dad's podcast and really enjoyed it because it's a, like kind of what we're doing right now. It's a long winded form uh, where you can really hear some more in-depth stories. And, and, and I think in our culture right now, that's, that's something that we don't have as much is, is, uh, with the instant gratification of of Instagram and Twitter and and 
you know, the sense, <laughs> the sensational nature of news right now, it's like, it's it, everything is really, really reactive and, and, and kind of, um, emotional and it was just really fun for me to listen to my father's podcast and i started talking to his co-host who who had me on their podcast and and we started talking like what what are some other ways because of the business that i'm in i'm gonna get fired eventually and what are some other ways that maybe we could we could make some make some money or or create some some momentum in a way that we could i could provide for my family and and that was what we came up with was like well i get to talk to all these people all the people we had on our podcast are, are people that i've had conversations with in the past and uh and then share that wisdom with others because that's really what i wanted that you know like a lot everything i do is based on these conversations i had with my father phil jackson Jeannie bus steve kerr uh, Greg Patton, Leon Rice, like I just have a great uh, network of, of friendships and mentorships uh, that I've just been privileged to have. So I just want to share that with others because I feel very fortunate for it. So so you've ruled out that you would not return to Ball Boy. <laughs> Doesn't sound like they want him back. I, you know, it's funny because I love the service nature of Ball Boy. Like I, that's one thing about being a coach is like, and I, I went and visited Phil Jackson in Montana. He was a great host, right? And and I think that that's part of being a great coach is 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 setting up the environment. And and that's what being a ball boy is. It's like you set the environment, you, you set everything up. It looks nice, right? And 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 you know the difference when you walk into a Holiday Inn versus the Ritz. It's like it's a setup. You know, and everything looks nice. Everything's where it's supposed to be. You don't recognize it because it's it's all these little details. But I think that's part of that's part of being a coach is is that that service nature of of the details making it look simple. And Steve Jobs was you know probably as good as any anyone we've seen at at, at creating simplicity that creates you know like so much more. Like simplicity is is truly a beautiful thing. And um, when it looks easy, it's we can't be naive to think that it is. Well, as you can see here, we enjoy talking about the journey as much as we do the stats on the court. Your podcast is the curious leader where people can hear from some of these amazing voices in yourself talking about their journey. Uh, Delaware Bluecoats coach Kobe Carl, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy your all-star break and uh, look forward to the second half and seeing what you do. Hope we get to talk to you again. Yeah, it was a pleasure, guys. Enjoy it. Thank you so much. Jeff, what a special person to talk to. You want to talk about life experiences that he brings to the court. It was fun learning about him to talk to him, and it is even better getting to talk to him. He seems like the kind of guy, like, you know, we always talk about coaches and, and, and what, what it's like. I mean, he's not recruiting, obviously, but you want, you want to know that your young adult is, is learning life's lessons and learning their, their profession from somebody special. And and he seems to be somebody special. Like the Sixers have found somebody who they can trust to kind of groom these guys on and off the court and, and and make them into professionals. And and I'm just impressed by it. 
is there hope for me as a failed tryout E for the Blue Coats that he was told that he was the worst ball boy ever and still turned into the successful head coach? No, the only hope for you is if you decide you want to be a ball boy. But well, <laughs> that's something more it, up it doesn't my lane. Tra- <laughs> if you think somehow that translates into, into you being able to dribble through your legs, you're wrong. I don't think anything translates into me no. being able to dribble through my legs. Let's get to some Sixers. Uh, coach Carl mentioned he's on the all-star break now. So are the Sixers. They hit the break at 35-23 and 23 in third place in the East. After getting absolutely dismantled by the Celtics the other night in a game that was embarrassing, they come back and win on the road against Milwaukee, 123-120. Against the reigning NBA champions. Embiid drops 42-14. and 14. It's his ninth game of the season with at least 40 points. Uh, Russ Westbrook and James Harden are the only other players with more 40-10 and 10 games over the last 30 years. He also enters conversations with like Wilt Chamberlain as the only player in franchise history to finish 40 and 10 and 5 at least twice in a three game span. Uh, you want to talk about Embiid's dominance, and we now have the Beard sitting on the bench coaching people with Doc. Which First, I love to see, by the way. I know you. you he's know. not coaching on the bench. I mean, he's, he's, he's participating, and they're, they're, they're doing what they should do, which is making this an inclusive team and getting him involved early I mean, that's on. That's how it's and supposed him, to work. Players are on yes, the team and on the well, bench. Well, I think, oh, look, I think it was working that way anyway. And Joe, Joel Embiid, for all the criticism that he's received in past years, um, he's showing himself to be a leader, not just by example as a player. But everything that he said, I mean, if people want to criticize him because he was critical in some ways of Ben Simmons, you know what? Sometimes that's what a leader has to do. And and he has shown himself that he he will will this team to win if he can. But you still need skill out there. And, And you now have that guy who can play next to him who is that kind of skill level. You now have a a a one and one a out there. And and the thing that people don't realize is that a big man in the playoffs, having a big man and not having a second option like that, it becomes much easier to guard him because they can just double him inside, outside the whole time. They can take away his ability, no matter how good he is, if you don't have a second threat. Ben wasn't that second threat because he wouldn't shoot. He wouldn't even try to shoot. You now have a guy who has no problem shooting Nobody's ever going to complain that Harden doesn't take enough shots. And, and look, the spacing on and the court them. should be better for some of your other guys to get more open shots. Hopefully, yeah. with Tobias not having to carry the load as a number two, but now the number three option, or even at times the number four with Maxi having the ball in his hands. Again, everybody, we talk about it in baseball a lot with the roles that the players have and how important that is. Maybe they can start to develop that here with the Sixers. Uh, Harden won't be on the court until after the All-Star game. He's not going to play in the All-Star game. I wouldn't mind if Embiid didn't play in the All-Star game. Jeff, you know my opinions on that. Every year uh, Mm -hmm. he could sit down with James Harden, have a nice lunch, and I'll see them on the court together starting next week. Uh, Will you watch the All-Star game, Jeff? Mm, Doubt it. You don't want to watch people jump over cars? Mm, Are they going to do it again this year? I don't know. Always, I'm guessing Blake. I'm guessing Blake Griffin couldn't do that anymore, but <laughs> probably not. I did think that was fun. Um, Jeff, quick question. He, might, he could pull out a matchbox car and do it, but that's about it. Quick question. I don't mean to get you depressed, but we missed your favorite time of year this week, as pitchers and catchers were supposed to report. Uh, so then, why say it? If are, you just know it's going to bring me down. I, like, no, no. I'm like, asking you an honest question because I'm. Yeah. 
I'm getting discouraged. You're you're the one that's negotiated before. Will there be baseball on time this year? Because I I think we're moving. Well, there into won't be spring training on time, but no. Um, and it seems like March is like early March is when they have to be in camps to start the season on time, and it doesn't seem like either side is close to anything. Now maybe it's posturing, but they they met for 15 minutes yesterday. It 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 it, it does make me say like I don't know why the first like day I get excited about it in, in a new year is but usually fe- around February 15th and I get excited to like you know when my kid was little wake him up and go hey it's today's the day pitchers and catchers report and then start planning going to spring training we would do even before that. Do any of that we would send the picture of when the fanatic would leave the truck out of the balls and and yeah i mean i remember one year we read the count of how many batting gloves and everything and were balls and, like, and, cups yep, and everything like it was just Socks. we had fun with that and none of that is going on right now and i just find that very depressing so. I, I just think that with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, and I don't know how baseball thinks that it could survive starting the season in the lockout. I told you they never got my stepdad back after the 1995 lockout. He never would buy tickets to a game. He would go with me if I wanted to go and I would get tickets, but he mm-hmm. stopped buying. He just wasn't interested in supporting a bunch of rich people who couldn't agree on how to spend their money. No, I, I would look. I was on the phone with my kid last night saying, why? Ha-? This was this was the question that I asked him. Why haven't we talked about going to spring break? I mean, going to spring training over your spring break. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, because we don't know if there is one. There isn't one like, th- like that. I mean, that's that's my father son tradition with him. And, yeah. and like we just don't ha- we don't have the certainty of that. And they just don't understand. People get excited for that because I... it's to, it's the beginning of spring, even though it's freezing outside most of the time. It's like. It, that, for a lot of us, is mentally the beginning of spring. You'll have something to hope for and look forward to. Jeff, we've got five minutes left. I know you want to talk a little golf. Can you explain to me what the heck is going on? Uh, th- this ridiculous idea for a, a separate tour. It's, look, it's not just golf that says tennis tried this. This was another thing that the Joker tried to do, was was get get a bunch of the best players to leave for a period of time the other the regular tour to go make even more money playing like the top 10 people and and, and to me it, it, that's just selfish and it kills the sport i mean to to say that you're going to leave the tour abandons all the other players that are struggling to get by you know, not everybody makes what Phil Mickelson makes or Brooks Koepka Phil makes. Phil says or he's going to bring about world peace through this tour, it seems like. You know, Phil <laughs> Phil has been my favorite player for decades. I know, and that's why I ask you and about this, because it's has to bother said you. That, when he said that, you know, he they're, he's going to be dealing with, what do you call them, scary MFers? Yes. Like, uh, I'm sitting there going, really? And you think you can somehow, you're going to change people's mo- hearts and minds? Like, what what are you thinking? The power like of a sometimes, it, it, just say Phil, I want, I still want to make a really lot of money. Don't don't sit there and say that somehow you're going to change people's minds. You're not. You're a golfer. <laughs> like, come on. But I just I just find this selfish, and I say I, I I find the whole thing like self-destructive to the sport. Like each generation has its players that that build for the next generation. That's the way that sports in the world is supposed to work. And instead, they're saying we don't care about the next generation. We're going to say, I mean, Colin Murakara, you know, it, there's a lot of courage as, as the young up and comer to say, nope, I'm staying here because he could have gone to that group 
And he's saying, I'm going to stay and I'm going to stay with my crew. Well, it's something to watch for sure. Uh, about two minutes left, Jeff. You were at the Flyers game last night. I hate to close mm-hmm. on a depressing note, but my God, are they a painful team to watch? They're still fun. They are still fun to watch. Yes, and, until the end of the know. game. If you just don't watch the first well, ten some, minutes, some some of some or, of us know better than to stay till the end of a if, Flyers game. If you just don't watch I, I, the first ten <laughs> minutes when they go down, or the last ten minutes where they blow their lead, it's a fantastic game to watch. So I I got to tell you, um, look, it, it's a it's a great place to go. It's still a great place to go as long as you're with people you want to be with. Did you fill out your you fan know, survey? I did not fill out a fan survey, but what I was struck by is how quiet it was for most of the first period. There was no let's go Flyers chant. And the only thing that really got them going is Claude Giroux got nailed up against the boards. And then there was a fight afterwards. And and that seemed to bring out the let's go Flyers chant and actually seemed to ignite the Flyers. But as I'm watching that game, my thoughts just keep going to, is this the last time I'm going to see Claude Giroux? That's what I in a was, Flyers uniform. That's what I wonder watching him every time. Is this the last time that he's going to be on? Because he's wondering it too. He's outwardly well, and saying look, If you watch, I know you're not a big social media follower, but his wife has put out on her social accounts him bringing his son into the locker room and onto the ice to skate with him in the jersey. They're doing all those things that you would do if you're on a farewell tour right now. Is he a better ball boy? Problem? I don't know. Ask Coach Carl. I don't really know. He might be better. With well, I guess you call it a puck boy, right? Yeah, like but, well, they're the ice people. They, I don't know what the title is for the, the people that come on people. and scrape, scrape the ice. And Isn't that the like Lord of the Rings or something? I don't know. I'm terrible at that all. But I, it just I, – I grew up a Flyers fan. I, I played street hockey as a kid. It, it's frustrating to not see this so, team. So I was, asked, I was asked the question last night at the game. So when was the last time the Flyers were good? And I and I well, genuinely I said I don't know about fifteen years ago when they went to ago. the finals against Chicago. It's eleven. Years when was ago. that? Uh, two thousand ten. That's, that's that's a long that's, that's a long time ago. My son I was, was off. I was only off by a couple of years. But when somebody asked that question and you're sitting in an arena and you can't you go hmm. My now I don't five even year know old, the last time they were good. My now five year old wasn't even a thought at the time. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make <laughs> sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.